Hey there, welcome to this podcast from Trinity Church in Palmerston North. We haven't put up any recordings of our Sunday messages since late 2019, so it's been nearly a year since we've done this, so our apologies for that. But we are trying to get back into the habit of doing that, and this is from the 25th of October 2020, which was our Labour Weekend holiday here in New Zealand. So hope you enjoy it. Um, and uh, we hope that we'll have one for you next week as well. So God bless you. Let's go straight to the message now. So today, I'm beginning a, uh, a new series, and it might be very short. I'm not sure how long it's going to go for, but I want to talk a little bit about heart health. And so this is the message. So this is how we roll. We have very little and probably zero impact on the external world that we're born into. As far as I know, you don't get to choose the family you're born into, your ethnicity, your genetic makeup, whether you're born rich or poor, whether your family are born in a palace or starving somewhere. We don't get any choice about the environment that we're born into. We just find ourselves in a situation And I don't know about you, sometimes when parents are complaining about their kids, their kids are moved to say, well, I didn't ask to be born. Like, why are you complaining about me? You know, I didn't ask to be here. Uh, I've probably said that. I can't remember whether I've had it said to me or not. But that's the thing, because we don't have any control. We just get born into this world, as far as we know, without any choice or decision made on our part. We're born into an environment that might be privileged, or it might be pretty difficult, pretty dire sort of circumstance. We're all born into different environments. But regardless of the lack of power that we have over the circumstance that we're born into, we all go on a journey from the beginning of our life to the end of the life, a journey that is not necessarily immediately seen or evident to those around us. It's the journey that happens on the inside of our lives. And we get to call the shots on that. We might not get to call the shots on our external environment, because sometimes even when you plan your way through life, things happen and change your external environment against your will, against things that you wanted to do. COVID-19 has changed people's circumstances in ways that were beyond their power, beyond their capacity to do influence. But there's something that goes on. It's the way we respond on the inside, the way that we choose, the way that we decide, the values that we nurture, the decisions that we make internally will impact the rest of our lives. This is what it says in a well-known passage in, uh, I'll turn that on, a well-known passage in Proverbs. Proverbs 4.23, the writer says, guard your heart or watch over your heart above all else for it will determine the course of your life. In other words, the writer of Proverbs is saying there's something that's going on inside you, the decisions you are making, the values you are nurturing, the things you are choosing, the way you're responding internally will end up influencing the entire course of the rest of your life. People make decisions that impact them. Sometimes they're good decisions and sometimes they're not. Sometimes decisions people make will end up in the fullness of time terminating their marriage because of a decision they made, maybe to hold a grudge, and that will end up terminating their relationship. People make decisions on the inside for good or for bad, and that's what I want to talk about a little bit at the moment. It's the journey of our hearts that determines the outcome of our lives. 
And so it's important. And sometimes people just naturally seem to carry a really good attitude. You know, you strike people like that, they just naturally just seem to have a, a cheerful disposition and they're, they're thankful and they're kind and they're everything else. And, uh, uh, and you don't know whether they've worked at that or whether it just came naturally, I don't know. But sometimes we have to work a little bit harder. Sometimes we have to choose things. We have to nurture that which is good and reject that which isn't in order to build a healthy heart on the inside of our lives. Um, when God was looking for someone who would lead Israel uh, way back in time, he sent the prophet Samuel to Jesse, saying that he'd chosen one of his sons. So God speaks to Samuel the prophet, go see this guy called Jesse. He's got this farming family uh, out in the country somewhere. So go see him because one of his sons has been chosen to be the new king over Israel. And so Samuel goes to see Jesse, and, he, and Jesse starts to bring out his sons. He knows why Samuel's there, and he starts to bring out his sons. And so naturally, he would bring out, you know, maybe the oldest or the, or, or the most good-looking or the tallest or the most skilled. He starts bringing out his sons one by one in order to see Samuel, to see which one of these that God has chosen. This is what we find here in 1 Samuel uh, 17. This is it. Don't judge by his, God speaking, I think, to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or his height. For the Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so Jesse was bringing out his sons. These are the ones that look to me to be so impressive. They're tall, they're skilled, they're this, they're that, the other thing. They would appear to be the right person to lead this nation because they're impressive in some kind of a way. And, and God's saying, no, what's really important, what I'm looking for here is something on the inside. Something in the heart is what I'm looking for. That's what I'm after. And there was one son that Jesse didn't even bother to bring in. He just didn't, he didn't even count him as worthy to even come before the prophet Samuel. He didn't even get a crack. He didn't even get a choice. He was, the, he was the disregarded youngest son that no one seemed to have any time for at all. And they just left him down the back of beyond looking after his sheep. And Samuel goes, isn't there anybody else? Because it's kind of like God hasn't chosen any of these that you've brought before me. But yet he knew that one of Jesse's sons was destined to be the king that God had chosen. And, and Jesse kind of goes, well, there's David, I suppose. But like, you know, we wouldn't even really count him. Um, and he, the most unlikely candidate, was the one that God had chosen because God was looking on the inside where no one else gets to look because he knows exactly what makes us tick. He knows what's going on on the inside of us. And David, I mean, God was looking at David's heart out there looking after the sheep and he saw something that was being cultivated inside of his heart and he said, I like that. This is the right guy to lead the nation. And you know that David wasn't perfect if you read the story, but he was a guy who had a heart after God. And he was the right guy for the job. So I want to talk about heart health, uh, at least for a couple of Sundays. We'll see how we go after that. And, and, and today I want to look at two particular things um, that influence the health of our hearts. And we're going to look into the book of Acts. If you've got a Bible with you or a phone or a tablet or something, you might like to read along with me. Or you can just listen. I'm going to read this passage from Acts 16, verse 16. I'm going to read it right through down to verse 34. 
It's a story that I've always really enjoyed right from the, I think the first time I read through the Bible. I remember we'd just come to Christ. I remember working, I was working on an orchard somewhere and I remember I'd take my little, I had a little little, little Bible and I would take it to work. I started on this little wee black New Testament that I'd bought, a revised standard version, and I'd take it to work and at smoko time and lunchtime I'd be reading through the Bible and I really, I really loved this passage from the beginning. And uh, so I'm going to read it to you and then bring out just two points out of this uh, that I think speak to us uh, about things that help us to be healthy on the inside that then will direct the course of our lives and means that then we leave a, a legacy uh, beyond us. I, I um, as many of you would know, part of what I do in my life is I, I take a reasonable number of funeral services for, for people. Always really struck by the kind of legacy that we leave behind us when we're gone. What legacy have we left behind us? And I think if we've got a healthy heart, it means we're going to leave a good legacy. Let's read the story. This is a story about Paul and Silas. God had called them to Philippi. They were kind of, they were on this mission to share good news, and they weren't quite sure where to go or what to do, and they really felt that God called them over to this place in Philippi. They felt this was a, you know, something that God had called them to do, so they rocked up there. Uh, they would go to the most likely places they could think of to go and share good news. So they went, there was a place where people used to gather for prayer, and so they went out there, and uh, they started sharing good news, and some people came to Christ, and, you know, there was an unfolding story that was really good in that place. And we pick it up in verse 16. One day, as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. Now, she earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. And she followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God. They've come to tell you how to be saved. And this went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within him, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and instantly it left her. Her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered, and so they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. And the whole city uh, is in an uproar because of these Jews they shouted to the city officials. They're teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. And a mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them to be stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in stocks. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake, and all the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open. The chains of every prisoner fell off, and the jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open, and he assumed the prisoners had escaped. So he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself, we're all here. And the jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord within him, uh, with him and with all who lived in his household. And even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. And he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. 
He brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. A remarkable story for all sorts of reasons, but I just want to pick out two things which are kind of like the two hinges upon which the whole story turns, because this story could have gone any way. I mean, they were here, Paul and Silas, they were just trying to get around their business and sharing good news with people and getting on with that kind of stuff. And because of the things that happened, they ended up being stripped, beaten with sticks, and then with their backs or whatever part of their body was beaten, still bleeding and still in pain, they were thrown into the inner dungeon where it would be dark and there'd be rats and there'd be prisoners that had been there seemingly just about their whole lives. And then their feet were put in stocks and they were left there. And as far as anyone else would be concerned, they could have just been left there to rot because the justice system wasn't working that well in Philippi at the time. And so they were, you know, they started the day really, you know, it was a great start to the day. Like we've been called to Philippi, we're going around, we're sharing our faith, people are coming to Christ. This is, this is so cool. It's great to be in God's purpose and in God's will and uh, everything's just working out just great. Another great day in Philippi, praising the Lord. And uh, they finished the day with their backs bleeding thrown into the inner dungeon with their feet in stocks. It ended the day really, really bad. It was an entirely miserable situation. They were in pain and in the dark, and it was entirely a miserable situation they found themselves in. And, you know, you can respond all sorts of different ways to that, and they may well have. You could be depressed, you could be discouraged, you could be angry, you could be all sorts of things. And we don't know the kind of emotions that were racing through their minds and their hearts. Um, you know, sometimes life is tough. Sometimes you go through difficult times and you have emotional responses. You might feel betrayed. You might feel angry. You might feel depressed. You might feel all sorts of things. You know, we, we, emotions are part of who we are. We, it doesn't explain uh, how they felt particularly, but it does explain how they responded in their situation. And this is, I think, where the story, to me anyway, gets really, really interesting because there was something at work in their hearts that caused them to respond to an entirely negative environment in a way that was really healthy and in a way that you wouldn't necessarily expect. So these are the two things. The first one is thankfulness. Verse 25, around midnight. So here they are. They're in pain still, right? They're thrown into this miserable dark inner dungeon. Their feet are in stocks. Terrible situation. And what do we find them doing around midnight? Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. Here they are in the midst of this life situation which no one would ever want to be in. And the response was to turn towards God in thanksgiving. They may have had all sorts of, they might have felt angry or betrayed or sad or despairing. They might have had some of those emotions. But what they chose to do in the sight of a negative situation was to look up towards God and they found some stuff to give God thanks for. And I think that is such a kind of a healthy response, that's for sure. I mean, Paul said this when he was writing to the church in Thessalonica. 
And you could think, oh, he's just like sermonizing now. Surely he doesn't live this stuff out. He said, always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. But he wasn't just sermonizing. He wasn't just speaking from a life of luxury and telling everyone else how to live. Man, he, he, he went through difficult stuff and he worked this stuff out. And in the midst of a hopeless, horrible situation with his back still torn open by the rods and, and, and his feet in stocks and rats running around and, and, and it's dark all around and no one's, no one's turned the light on because there was no light in the, in the dungeon. It was just dark. So it was a horrible, desperate situation. You just get the squeaking of the rats running along, you know, uh, and you're worried that you're going to nibble your feet or, or something worse. So um, it's, not, it's not nice. But in the middle of that, they found something to thank God for. And I think, man, that is such an example for us who live in 2020, such an example for us in our lives that when we're going through stuff, we might have an emotional response to that. We might not be feeling happy about the situation that we find ourselves in. There may be some mourning or some grief or some sadness or whatever. I'm not saying we should just be chirpy about it all, but something happens when in the midst of a difficult environment, we turn our hearts towards God and we start to give thanks in that situation. And I think there's always something that we can give thanks for. Sometimes there are things within our situations where there are people or there are circumstances or situations for which we are thankful for. And sometimes if you can't find a lot of those, at least you can turn your heart towards God and you can thank God that He is good. Thank God that He's got your life in the palm of His hand. Thank God that somehow He's going to work everything together for good. Thank God that He is with you in the middle of your trial and one day He will bring you through your trial and out the other end. You can think about the promises of God. You can find something to thank God for. And when you do that, it transforms us on the inside. It may not suddenly transform your circumstance, but it will surely transform something about who you are on the inside. And sometimes we can be in the middle, we can be in the middle of a, a really an excellent circumstance. It's, it's like we've got friends and there's food on the table and the sun is shining and we can find things. We're like, we can be like fault finders. We can be experts at finding the wrong thing, the thing that we don't like, the thing that doesn't measure up to us. And we focus it on that and we, we, we get uptight about the thing that's wrong. So instead of turning to God like Paul in the midst of a miserable situation and saying, thank you, we find ourselves in an excellent situation and find something to grumble about and moan about. And sometimes we can just be experts at that. Uh, and I think Paul and Silas here really set us a magnificent example of a healthy attitude to have in the middle of a really, really serious challenge. So right in the middle of all of that, they're praying and they're singing hymns and the other prisoners are listening to them. There's suddenly this big earthquake and there's this rumble comes. I don't know if it was one of those that you can hear coming. You know, the, have you ever woken up at night and you can hear a rumble coming? They're kind of the most exciting earthquakes because you go, what's that rumbling? Is it a truck coming down the road? What's going on? Rumble, rumble, rumble. Next minute, your house is shaking. You go, oh no, it's an earthquake. So uh, anyway, they had this massive earthquake in the middle of the night. And what happened was the chains of the prisoners fell off, and all of the doors opened. 
So it was quite a remarkable thing that happened. And it was like, whoa, this is their chance. It was like, here they are in this miserable situation uh, where it was almost like you could feel really, really hopeless. And next minute, there's an earthquake. The prison doors swing open by themselves. Their chains fall off. Their stocks must have kind of opened somehow. And they were free to go. Like, this is their chance. They could have thought, well, praise God. This is our chance. We're out of here. And they could have scurried off into the night and, and, and would have been praising God all the way. That's what you would expect to happen. But Paul was observing the prison guard, the guy who was in charge of their miserable circumstance. He wasn't maybe the author of it, but he was certainly, you know, the administrating it, shall we say. And Paul was observing the prison guard. And the prison guard assumed that all the prisoners had just run for it because that's what you would do. Ordinarily, you would think, here's my chance. I'm out of here. And you'd be off down the road. And they assumed he assumed, the prison guard assumed that's what had happened. And he knew that he would be held accountable. And that didn't mean he would be demoted. And it didn't mean he'd lose his job. It would mean he would lose his life. And he was so fearful of the repercussions of the prisoners escaping that he drew his sword to kill himself. Just a horrendous situation. And Paul, it says, shouted out to him, Stop. Don't kill yourself. We're all here. You think, what? Has Paul completely lost his marbles? What's he thinking? Surely this is God's opportunity for him to get away and, and to be free. Rush off to the next town and go and share some good news there. But Paul's immediate concern was for the prison guard. He was concerned for his welfare. And I think, and that's what I want to share about as we come to the close the second key to a healthy heart. He, he not only looked up to God in thanksgiving, but he was looking out for the welfare of others. Somehow he had understood that the reason why he was alive, the purpose for his life was not just to live for himself. It wasn't to think about amassing a fortune or friends or anything else. It wasn't about building a life for himself, he recognized that the purpose of his life was to care about others, to serve others, to make a difference, and to leave a legacy in the world behind him. So when he was gone, it wasn't like Paul. people say, well, Paul had a nice life, always lived in a nice home with plenty of stuff. You know, what a nice life. He, he never did anything for anybody else. He was grumpy. He was selfish, you know, whatever. But no, Paul chose a different kind of way to live. He recognized that his purpose was found in the legacy that he left behind, in helping others and serving others and depositing something of value in their lives. And because of that, that immediately, because that was established in his life, that was there. Not only was thankfulness there as a kind of a core value, but this idea of service was there as a core value in Paul's life. So he didn't have to think about it in the moment. He didn't have to decide what to do. It was an instinctive reaction because he'd built these things on the inside of his life. His instinctive reaction was to care for the jailer. And he says, don't kill yourself. It's all right. We're still all here. I, I can understand why Paul was still there. He had a, I don't know why the other prisoners were still there. But for whatever reason, they were all there. And the result of that was the jailer's life was spared. 
So the jailer's life was changed that day. Instead of getting hauled before the authorities and being put to death, the jailer's life was spared. It meant that he was still there for his family. He could still earn a living for his family and to look after them. And the result was also that he and his whole family came to Christ. They all came to Christ. And on what could have been a tragic night for that jailer, and his whole family, it could have been a tragedy. The prisoners escaped. He loses his life. They've got no one to support them. It could have been just a horrible night for them all. But it says at the end, his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. So, the, so when Paul and Silas left Philippi, they left this legacy behind, not only in this new church that they'd started to build, but with the jailer and his family. They left a legacy behind. He made a difference because he had built something into his life. The capacity to not only thank God in the middle of a difficult circumstance, but also the realization that his life was not to be lived for himself, but that he was created to help and to serve others. And this is one of the distinctive values that Jesus taught about. Just one more scripture. I think there's only one more. This one here, Luke 22, 24 to 27. Jesus is hanging out with the disciples and and they were arguing among themselves about who would be the greatest. And Jesus told them, in this world, the kings and the great men lorded over their people, and yet they're called friends of the people. But among you, it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank, and the leader should be like a servant. Who's more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? Well, it's the one who sits at the table, of course. But then he says, but not here. He's saying, in normal life, you know how it works. There are masters and there are servants. I mean, 50% of the Greek or Roman world were, were slaves. So they knew how the whole thing worked. There were masters and there were slaves. That was part of their whole social structure. There were masters and slaves. And, and so Jesus is saying, well, you know how it works. There are masters and there are slaves. There are masters and there are servants. The masters sit about being masters and the slaves scurry about serving them and looking after them. That's how, that's how life works. That's how it works. But he says, but not here, not among you, not in the church. That's not how it's designed to work. We're turning this thing around. He says, but not here. For, he said, for I am among you as one who serves. He said, I I've come with a different attitude and with a different spirit. I've come to serve you. In another place, he said, the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He said, I've come among you as one who serves, and I'm wanting to reproduce that inside of you as my disciples and that value inside the church, that, that, that the church would be filled with not masters and servants, but that we would all learn to serve and inside of service encounter the thing that we've been created to do. So everything in the stories hinges on, on the way Paul and Silas responded. This, could have, this story could have finished so differently in so many different ways. I mean, it started the way it started. And, and we just find ourselves sometimes in circumstances we find ourselves in. Sometimes it's because of something we've done. Sometimes it's not. But we find ourselves in a situation and we might think to ourselves, well, this is not ideal. I wouldn't have chosen to be here. But we all get to choose how to respond to that. It's our internal journey. And here are two things I just want to commend to you today to, 
to build these things. And sometimes you have to consciously build these things into your life. You have to consciously build in thanksgiving because sometimes you might not feel like doing that. And you have to consciously. And sometimes, you know, you might, you, if, if it doesn't come naturally, set yourself a challenge. Think every day, every day, I'm just going to give myself a moment. I'm going to sit down and going to think of something to be thankful for. I'm going to think of something to be thankful for. And you think about some things. It might take you a while. But, you know, you're, in the end, you'll think of some things to be thankful for. And just take a moment and thank God for that thing. And then the day after that, sit down and do it again and do it again and do it again and do it again. And you'll build that thing. It's, I think that's what the writer of Proverbs was saying. You watch over your heart. You kind of cultivate values that you think are going to be healthy and good for you and good for everybody else. So you consciously choose to build thanksgiving into your life so that it becomes a natural part of who you are. And it can be the same with service too. You can think, man, I, I, it's a long time since I did anything for anybody. And yet I think that it would be good to build that in my life. You might have to sit down and think, is there anything that I could do just to be, just to be helpful to somebody? Whether it's a friend or a neighbor or whether it's helping at church or whether there's some kind of some social agency that you could help out just think is there something that I could or is it just the way that I encounter people the way that I speak to people instead of being grumpy I once asked someone how would you describe this person the first word they said was grumpy <laughs> so so they loved them, but they were grumpy people. So, you know, we can, we can just choose to interact with people in a different kind of a way. And all of those things build a kind of health on the inside of our lives and impact the outcome of our lives and the legacy that we leave behind us. And so I commend those thoughts to you today.